0: Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. We're here with episode 45. This is our middle infield preview. This is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We've hit you up with with corner infield. We talked catchers. Now we're talking about the middle infield. And Pete, I don't know about you, but this list for me, these lists, since we have to cover both second base and shortstop, were among the hardest and most
1: fun to make. It was definitely hardest because of just how much talent there are. Looking at the names that we both had to leave off, it's like, oh man, like, man, maybe I should have had Jazz Chisholm or is we're going to get to Max Muncie? There is so much talent in these two positions. And yes, that does include second base.
0: Yeah. I, second base, you know, coming into this, I had this feeling that. I, so I create values for myself for my auto new leagues and I use those. And over on graphs, I'm posting my tiered rankings for every position. And I use the same replacement level for shortstop and second base. And so I had this sense that those positions were really similar. And then once I got into these top tens, they're not, I mean, they are, but they're not like the shortstop at the top is just so strong right now. And second base, I think the reason they end up at the same replacement level is because like my 10 through 20 at second base is still interesting to me. Yeah, At shortstop, it falls off a little bit, but it only falls off because the top 10 are just so good. So, so good.
1: Yeah, and and then even within that top 10, the top three are, you know, I mean, they're, they're all a case for for 1.1 in drafts. So it really does make for, for an interesting discussion. And Chad, I have to say with this being our 45th episode, you know what that means. It is our Pedro Martinez episode.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's any great Cleveland athletes with 45. I'll have to look that up. But the, the Pedro <laughs> episode, that's a pretty good one. That you know, back in back in my my twenties, my younger days, I used to go to Vegas a lot and would play craps with some friends. And I've got a group of friends who every time we would play craps would call out Jersey numbers for whatever we needed. You needed a six, that was Larry Legend. Right? <laughs> you need a 33. If you, you know, I, I, don't, I don't remember a 45, 45 might have been Pedro. I'm trying to remember. There, there were some Boston guys that got called out, but yeah, it was just like, you'd, you'd be like, oh, we need a, we need a five, 23 LeBron call out LeBron. So that was our, <laughs> that, that was our way of trying to get the numbers we needed to come up, which that's a, it's a sports yeah, fans yeah, a way of doing sometimes. It. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: I, we also got to give a shout out to Bob Gibson, of course. Right. I mean, I, I I'd take Pedro. That's my Boston blood, but yeah, plenty of plenty of good 45s out there. We didn't keep this tradition alive. I feel like it's definitely stolen from some podcasts. There's got to be another podcast that does this, but we're going to get to a point where we can't do this, you know, like once we get to episode like 100. So got to got to ride the juices when we think of it.
0: Yeah, I feel like we like missed the window because we're already like our 45. It's like one through 40 are the ones that are right are most interesting. So
1: yeah, it's going to quickly become football numbers for a while. I think
0: I guess so. (laughs) <laughs> All right, let's dive right into the, the the rankings. We'll start with our top 10 second baseman. A quick note, a couple of reminders actually first. So we're looking at these. These are top 10 lists for keeper leagues. We're assuming a five by five league. We are assuming a decent number of keepers, eight, 10, 12, something like that. Enough that it's worth moving people up your list because a guy you take late might actually be a keeper. In this case, because we're looking at players at, any position where they're eligible, there's some overlap between these lists. The number one second baseman on our list on both of our lists also appears on our shortstop list. We'll get to that later, but just the way it works when guys qualify at multiple positions. So with that Pete's top 10 second baseman, here we go. Trey Turner, Brandon Lau. I'm going to get this right. I, I, Oh, I, I, there's too many lows and lows and I, yeah, There's another one coming. (laughs) And there's another one coming. Trey Turner, Brandon Lau, Ozzy Albies, Marcus Simeon, Catel Marte, Jose Altuve, Jorge Polanco, Javi Baez, Jake Cronenworth, and Jonathan India are his top 10. My top 10 are our top four are the same, but in a different order. I have Turner, Albies, Lau, and Simeon. So we flipped Albies and Lau. Then after that, I've got Altuve, Polanco, Marte, India. And my last two are different from guys you have. I have Whit Merrifield and Jazz Chisholm as my last two. The differences between our lists, other than some of the ordering, like I said, I've got Merrifield and Chisholm. You've got Baez and Cronenworth. You've got them at 8-9. I've got those two at 9-10. I, and I think the place I want to start here is, I never really considered you a Javi Baez fan per se, <laughs> but you've got him up there at number... Eight on your list. I left him off my list completely. I imagine that if you, if our listeners out there looked for keeper rankings for five by five leagues, we might be the two low men on Javi Baez, but you're higher than me. So I'm going to make you talk about him. Why, why, how did he make your list and why isn't he even higher?
1: Yeah, that's fair. Well, first of all, he's coming off his best baseball, right? As a Met, he was terrific for them, hit 300. There's no way he's going to be able to keep up that Babip. Um, but he is a high BABIP guy. I mean, that's what drives his value, right? Like Javi Baez's value comes from the fact that he can hit for a high BABIP and he has a ridiculous home run to fly ball ratio because his average home run distance is huge. So that actually works out for him pretty well that he went to Detroit. I don't think there's a lot of hitters that go to Detroit and you think this is good news. And I'm not necessarily saying it's good news for Baez, but he's not going to be as affected as other guys that go to Detroit because I think the more spacious park will help him keep a high BABIP. I also think his average home run distance is so high. Those fences that are further back aren't really going to matter as much for him. Like he should, he should still be able to give some, some decent home run pop. I also don't think the stolen bases are going anywhere with Baez. Totally dynamic player. So you know, could he give us another thirty twenty season? I think that's still within his, obviously still within his range of potential outcomes. So I, I still like Baez a little bit. I'm never going to draft him, so I, I guess I shouldn't say I like him because even with at eight, like you said, we're still pretty low on him as a whole. You just like him compared to me, exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's really all. It Which is, is
1: not saying much. No,
0: yeah, I, I mean, I look at Baez and like, yes, he can't He's coming off some of his best ball from a a surface perspective 2021 for a guy who has a well-earned reputation as a free swinger 2021 was his highest career o swing it was his second highest career z swing so it i mean he he swung the bat as much as he ever has if not more and the the biggest chunk of those gains came on pitches outside the zone which is you know not what you want his contact rate was a career low. So he is he is taking more bad swings and making less contact than ever. Now <laughs> I don't know that doesn't that doesn't seem great to me and so I it it causes me some real concern about how he's going to continue to develop. Like and I guess develop might be the wrong word. It's more about how does he progress or decline? He had a career high swinging strike rate. I it's just there's just a lot here that looks real ugly to me in the areas I was already most concerned about with him. His fly ball rate increased to a career high, which is obviously good for power, but but undermines that BAPIP a little bit. And so when you look at like his, you know, you talk talking about him being a high BAPIP guy, but like he had a 265 average last year. His expected average based on stat cast was 241. His slugging was 494. Expected slugging was 455. His WOBA was 344. Expected WOBA was 324. Like his batted balls were did not support what he did. And now none of those things are predictive. So I, I want to be clear like I'm not saying like oh now we know what he's going to do next year. But they do tell us that like it's not like he had carried that high BAPIP or or his high home run per fly ball rate because he was hitting the ball so well. Like that's not what drove those things, which means that there is at least some risk And I think there's probably pretty significant risk that those things regress. And if the BAPIP progresses and the home run per fly ball rate regresses and he doesn't fix the issues with his, the, the the issues with his swing that have always been there and have only been getting worse. Like if those don't start to improve, I I mean, like he had a 33.6% strikeout rate last year. If that goes up a little bit and his BAPIP and home run per fly ball rate start to come back down to where they were, it's going to get ugly. And that park is not going to serve him well as a fly ball hitter. Like I do think the bigger park allows more, it allows more line drives to get in his 18.5% line drive rate. He was 18.5 last year, 18.4 the year before 18.1 before that. He's not a big line drive hitter, right? That's not, that's not a low number. It's not terrible, but it's not like he, he isn't. um am trying to think of a good example. Like there, there's guys who I feel like just spray line drives around And big parks really help them. Baez is becoming more and more of a fly ball guy and big parks don't help with that. And so I just see too many red flags and you know, he's not yet 30. So I'm not like worried about him from a, this isn't a, like he's going to age and fall apart kind of thing. I just think he's trending the wrong direction. And if I go look at the rasball player rater at second base, he was eighth last year. And so I just feel like he was eighth last year and headed the wrong way.
1: Yeah, he was eighth last year and, and like had a great season, right? I mean, like overall, his numbers were still really good and he was still only eighth. I mean, basically what you just described is why I've been out on him forever. And it's probably why, honestly, I'm not going to end up with a lot of Tyler O'Neill either, because I feel like Javi Baez is like what we hope Tyler O'Neill can be, right? Like somebody who somehow, despite a crazy strikeout rate, Maintains such a high BABIP and such a strong home run to fly ball rate because of the exit velocities that he stays relevant in fantasy. I just feel like Baez has done it long enough that I can give him this ranking. It just still doesn't mean I'm really going to end up with him.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And, and I think that's a, this is a reasonably natural transition into the guy I want to talk about next, who is Jazz Chisholm Jr. And this is this is probably the most shocking differentiation <laughs> on our list is that what a turning Pete point is in not our the one who has Jazz on here. I've been low on Jazz. I've talked about him being a potential bust, and Pete just loves the guy, and yet I'm the one who has him on my list right at the bottom. He's number 10. It's not like I've got him way up near the top, but I've got him on there. Pete doesn't. Pete, why don't you talk a little bit about why you don't have him on your list? Like, Why did you, you decide to keep him off?
1: Sure. So we talked a little bit about this before we started recording and something I've actually been touting for a while is that like in keeper leagues, especially shallow keeper leagues go for ceiling. And so depending on the, the format, and this is why making keeper rankings can be so difficult to begin with. Like maybe I would rather take Jazz Chisholm over a few of these guys. And I think that the name that sticks out is Jake Cronenworth, right? Like Cronenworth feels like a safe. He hasn't been doing it for long, right? He was a, he was an old rookie, but given his strikeout rate and, and everything else, I feel like Cronenworth's a pretty safe player. And Jazz Chisholm is like that crazy range of outcomes. I do think in redraft where he's being drafted right now is a little bit crazy, but that's partly because of the fear of stolen bases. Bottom line, Jazz has this massive range of outcomes. So depending on the format of your keeper league and depending on what your team needs, you know, keep him based on that. If you've got a team that already has a lot of risk and your keepers are, are, you know, maybe injury prone guys or guys who are also awaiting the breakout, I'd maybe stay away from jazz. But if you're looking for that boom or bust potential, then jazz is there. So I hate to sit on the fence, but it does kind of feel like he's, he's a situational type keeper. He's not a no brainer in any direction.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think that the thing that stands out to me. So let me talk about this. The reason I've been so down on Chisholm in redraft and that I, I do think he has some, some real bust potential is a lot of the stuff we talked about with Baez. He's got a he's a free swinger, he strikes out a lot. We're counting on tools to shine through. They might do that. But your risk, your downside in redraft, I think with him is he starts the season as they're starting probably second baseman, right? He's gonna start at second base for the, the Marlins. He really struggles, strikes out a ton, and they end up deciding: like, look, this guy basically skipped triple A. He has a 10 career triple A plate appearances. And I think there's a real possibility that if he struggles, if that strikeout rate jumps, if he's just not, you know, not getting on base at all, not hitting for power the way they want, that he gets a little bit of time down in triple A to, to figure things out. Comes back up, maybe is better, maybe isn't, but you end up with this like choppy up and down season where in redraft, you're just you're cutting him loose, right? Like there's you can't, you can't hold on to him through that. Whereas the upside. Is twenty twenty maybe twenty five twenty five, like something around there. If I compare that in a redraft to a guy like Cronenworth, the safety of Cronenworth is real valuable, and the downside just isn't as isn't as scary. In a keeper league, the downside for Chisholm was the same, right? He never really figures it out. You cut him loose, whatever. The upside, though, isn't just a 25-25 season. It's like four 25-25 seasons, right? And so while he might be, let's say that, you know, you're you're gambling in redraft that like he might be 30% better than Cronenworth, but he also might be a cut. That's a that's a tough trade off to make. In a keeper league, the possibility that he'll be 30% better than him every year for the next half decade is way more upside to bet on. And so, you know, even though I'm only really looking, let's say two, three years out in the keeper leagues, I don't like looking out a lot further than that. The possibility of having him, his upside is a top three to five second baseman. And so having that upside is just, it's more valuable when I can bank, when I, when I have the opportunity to bank it for the next three years. That's why I moved him up and put him on my list.
1: What helps that too is that it's not like you're, it's not like this is like the upside of a prospect or something like jazz is whether you believe in the numbers or not coming off a season in which he had 18 homers and 23 stolen bases. He's already performed at a, at a pretty high level of just 23 years old. The raw skills are there. So it, the risk is still, I mean, like obviously there's risk and that's, that's why I didn't have him on my list, but at the same time, like you're not basing this on nothing, right? You're not basing this on some crazy successful triple a season where the pitching is a joke. He did it last year against major league pitchers. And I know, I know you don't want me to bring it up again, but that high fastball off Jacob deGrom, like, I mean, that should put him on everybody's top 10 list maybe to begin with. So maybe I should bounce Cronenworth.
0: Yeah. You, you don't even have Cronenworth at 10th. You got Cronenworth at ninth. You have India at 10th. Would you bump India for Chisholm? Or do you have, is it the same sort of thing where the upside, the youth on, on India, pushes him higher than Cronenworth, really?
1: Yeah, it's a really tight race. I mean, it's like 9A, 9B, 9C. <laughs> um, my my thing with India is I think I'm actually lower on him than the field as well. So I think uh, Chris Towers made a really good point on fantasy baseball today, where if you look at, at Jonathan India's spray chart, that dude pulls the ball all the time. Like, he is a dead pull hitter. And so if he all of a sudden starts facing the shift next year, I think that could really impact his numbers. Like, yeah, the stolen bases were there. He did get 11 steals, but that wasn't a lot of plate appearances. Like he's going to need to, he's a volume guy. You know, he's not a per plate appearance type guy. He's more like you need to get a ton of plate appearances for him to be worth it. So I do like him and and he did kind of rock it to the major leagues, but I don't know. I I have reservations about a lot of these guys that I think the industry as a whole is kind of all in on going into 2022. And I'm kind of pumping the brakes, which really isn't my style. I'm, I'm cool with, you know, going head first into some risky plays, but I guess not in this instance.
0: Yeah. India is an interesting one where he pulls the ball a lot, but he doesn't hit a ton of fly balls. His fly ball rate is 33.4. Last year it was 22.5% line drive rate. Like this is very different from what we were talking about with bias, right? When when you're talking about a guy who like who would benefit from a bigger park, India might benefit from a bigger park because all those line drives are more likely to find grass. But he but you're right, if he pulls the ball as much as that, it, it sort of hampers him a little bit. And his exit velocities, like his max exit velocity is 110.2. He barrels the ball a decent amount, 9.6% barrel rate, but he doesn't have like it's not like off the charts, hard hit data for him from Statcast, And so he's not the kind of guy who you look at and you're like, man, he pulls the ball, but it's a lot of line drives. And if he could elevate those a little bit more, maybe he's a 40 home run guy. Like that, that's not like, this isn't, you know, this isn't going back and looking at Christian Yelich back in his, uh, his Marlins days where you're like, man, if this guy could just get the ball off the ground, look what he could do. And so, you know, I'm not really sure I, I know what I would suggest India should do. Like should he work on going the other way more? Should he work on just increasing his exit velocity with a little bit more bat speed because he's already got the pull and, and could could boy in that park if he could if he could increase right. his exit velocity even a little bit. I'm not really sure, but yeah, he was so good last year. And I'm actually in, in one of my auto new leagues currently negotiating a trade where I would be giving up a seventeen dollar Brandon Lau. I would be getting a $12 Jonathan India and a second piece to be determined. And the big debate right now is just how big is that gap? Like I save $5 and then I get what? But I think it's going to be a pretty meaningful piece I get back, which I think goes to to speak a little bit about the, the gap in my mind in, in the top probably three at second base from the rest of this list. Our top three, again, we both have Turner first, and then you have Lau, Albies, I have Albies, Lau. We both have Simeon fourth. I think because of age and Park, I feel like there's a little bit more of a gap between three and four than I might have previously. Bingo, Um yeah. But it's really like, like, I have Lau third, and I have India eighth. That's only a five-spot difference. Now, part of that is... The league where I'm talking about making this trade is a Fangraphs points league, so stolen bases aren't as valuable. Like it's just a different structure. But I think part of what it points to is like there is a pretty big fall off. I think from that top three to to the next group, and that's where if and when this trade comes together, I think that second piece is going to be. It's gonna have to be meaningful. Like I'm not doing this for like, oh, okay, I'll just downgrade from Lau to India and take like a little, you know, take a prospect, take whatever. Like I need something real that pushes it over the top for me, which is the conversation this other manager and I are having right now.
1: Yeah, I I, I've pulled a full one eighty on Brandon Lau. I think he's he's you brought him up, so I think he's worth just diving into really quickly here because I don't think there are many people who would have him over Ozzy Albies. I mean, Albies to me like I don't know what it is. I just He's not that that great of a hitter. Is that a crazy thing to say? Like 107 WRC plus this year, 102 last year, and then he's had one year where it was 116. He's super young. He steals bases. He hits for power. Like, I, I get it. Like, he's definitely appears like the complete package in fantasy. I just feel like he's kind of overperformed his skill set the last couple of years and and definitely benefited from that awesome lineup, which I guess isn't going anywhere. But he doesn't get on base at a high clip. Whereas I look at Brandon Lau and I just say, okay, well, if the if the main difference here between these two is one hits righties and one hits lefties. Well, first of all, I want the guy that hits righties because you're going to face more righties. Brandon Lau absolutely murders righties. He barrels the ball way more than Albies does. And I mean, if we're just going based on last year, like as great as Albies was, Lau from a power perspective was historically good at second base it just happened that Marcus Semien was even more historically good at second base so we don't talk about it that much but Brandon Lau had an absolutely tremendous season he still struggles against lefties I don't think that's going to go anywhere but I don't know I I like him more than Albies in in a keeper format I think it maybe it's just more like mentally I can I I look at the difference in ADP and so I think Lau better than Albies maybe he actually isn't because of the stolen bases but I I really like Brandon Lau, man. I don't know what to say. I feel like he's he's kind of being slept on a little bit, even though he's he's an obvious top eighty pick or whatever he is right now.
0: I don't. So I don't disagree with any of what you said about the differences between them. And I think if I am, you know, if I'm a GM of a major league team, I'd rather have Lau. Now, maybe that's as a hitter. I should say we're not talking defense here, but I'd rather have Lau. Age factors in there, fine. If I'm in an OBP league, or if I'm in a league like an auto new points league, I'd rather have Lau. In 5 by 5 Albies is likely to give you the better average. He's obviously going to give you more stolen bases, although a lot fewer home runs. And because of the way their teams use them and the skill around them on their teams, he is likely to give you... Not just likely, he's going to give you more runs and more RBIs. And so I think he's going to be better than Lau in four of the five categories. The category that Lau is going to beat him, he might beat him by a lot. I mean, Lau had 39 home runs last year, Albies had 30. I think I would bet on Lau getting 35 plus again, but I don't know that I would bet on Albies getting to 30 again. So I think that gap might grow. But I think the things you're pointing out about, like, he doesn't necessarily crush the ball. His WRC pluses have been more sort of good than great. I I think it's because of stuff around walk rate and even, like, home run per fly ball rate that play down a little bit in 5 by 5 And so the stuff that Lau is better at, I'm just not sure I care about as much again, other than the actual raw home run difference. And so that to me is what keeps Albies ahead of Lau. And I think, you know, if Albies ends up proving that he can hit 30 home runs again, and the and the difference between these guys is in home runs is just eight to 10 home runs instead of more like 10 to 15, which I think it, it, it could be that 10 to 15, then this becomes easy for me with Albies over Lau. If we end up with like, you know, Albies hitting 23, 24 home runs and Lau pushing 40 again. That might be enough to make up for all the other advantages Albies has, but I'd still take Albies first.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, the stolen base thing, I guess, is just the the no doubter, but I'm kind of emphasizing that, I guess, a little bit less this year, trying to stress less about stolen bases. I just think it, it's it's closer than I think the industry kind of views them. and. You know, if, but like you said, if Albies repeats what he did in 2021, then this conversation is moot, right? It's it's him by a mile and he's a first round pick. I just don't yeah. know if, if he's, I think drafting him based on what he did in 2021 is, is a little foolish.
0: So let's talk quickly about someone who's not on either of our lists. Are we just straight up overcorrecting on Muncie?
1: I guess I, this is my thing. Like I've been burned so many times by drafting guys who are currently injured that, and it's such a cop-out and it's not what we should be doing as analysts. I understand that, but like, what do people want from us? I don't have inside information about Max Muncy. I can't tell you if he's going to have Tommy John surgery or not. So it's almost like a conversation not worth having. And yet we have to have it. So yes, if you told me Max Muncy is going to get 550 plate appearances this year. And, and by, you know, the end of April, he's a fixture in the Dodgers lineup. Well then, yeah, we are way over correct. you should fly up this list. I just don't know if that's the case and and I'm not going to, take that risk in January.
0: Yeah. So I got, I I have that. And one other thing that are, that are keeping him off my list. And the other thing is, I don't know that he ever plays second base again. Right. And so when I'm looking at a second base list, if you, if you told me he was going to get, so, I mean, there's like layers here, right? Right now I've got the same concern you do that. Maybe he barely plays this year. If you told guaranteed me those 550 plate appearances and Ongoing second base eligibility. Then to me, he's, I mean, second, third. Like he's up yeah. there with like Obby's and Lau.
1: He's um, no different than Lau at
0: that point. Right. Yeah. That's probably just, right. Just age,
1: I guess. Yeah.
0: But if you tell me that he's going to get 550 plate appearances, all of them at first base or DH, which I think is very likely, then he doesn't get that high up this list because his value in the future is going to go, going to go down. He's, he'd still be very valuable at first base, but he's not, I would rather have Albies or Lau for sure. And probably Simeon and probably Altuve. I am mean, going down my list, like I, I'm going pretty far down my list before I'm like, yeah, now I want first base Muncie over these guys. Yeah. So that, that's the other factor here for me. And again, because when I look at a keeper list, I'm only really looking two to three years out. The risk that he effectively loses one of those two to three years and then becomes like, if he plays, if he gets like 150 late plate appearances this year and very little else, and then is a first baseman only next year, his value just drops so much. And so, yeah, maybe I should still be saying like, oh, there's a 50-50 shot he's going to play and I should, I should rank him on here, but I couldn't do it.
1: Well, and at that point, you're you're looking at keeping a 32-year-old first baseman only who's coming off 150 plate appearance season. Like, I, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Right. So I'm with you on that one. So let's talk a little bit about some guys who aren't on the
0: list besides Muncie. Throw some names out there of some guys that I think are sort of sleepers and flyers, late picks, but not necessarily prospects. Ty France has a little bit of the Muncie issue where I think he probably won't be a second baseman after this year. And so that kept me from moving him too far up. He also is maybe more of a real life player than a fantasy player, right? Like last year, he he got a full season 650 plate appearances, but just the 18 stolen base or the not stolen base, the 18 home runs, no stolen bases, the lineup around him is going to hopefully get better this year, but still just 85 runs, 73 RBIs. Like he just doesn't really fill up the categories for you. His strongest category is average, and that's also the most fickle. And so I have a hard time moving him up, but I think that there could be more power in that profile. I like France. I think you get him late. He's real interesting. Luis Urias, who I feel like I've been waiting on him forever. And last year, like, I feel like people have been waiting on him a long time. There was so much hype around him. And then he was legitimately excellent last year. And I feel like no one's talking about him. (laughs) He had 23 home runs, five stolen bases, 77 runs and 75 RBIs in just a hundred or just 570 plate appearances He had a 249 average, which isn't great, but he had a 280 BAPIP, and I think he's gonna be a higher BAPIP guy than that going forward. I don't know. I mean, like to me, he looks like a a pretty good bet for 20 home runs, five stolen bases, a decent average, and plenty of runs and RBIs. And yet, uh, you know, he doesn't belong in this top ten list by any means, but I feel like he's not getting nearly enough
1: hype. He was on my sleeper list, too. I I think the Brewers lineup is also going to be better next year. He's going to get more consistent plate appearances. I mean, he got up over 500, like you said, but I think he's now a fixture. So I I also had him on my list. Like I said, I'm I'm in on Urias. Somebody who I want to throw out there is Tommy Edmund. You know, I tweeted this out yesterday. I was looking at Zip's projections. And if you look at the Zip's projections between Tommy Edmund and Whit Merrifield, who I didn't have on this list, it's keeper leagues. And I feel like once Merrifield stolen bases go, he's utterly useless. But if you look at the Zips projections for these two guys, they're almost identical, right? Like Edmund down by three runs, but up by two home runs. Their RBI are essentially the same. Stolen base is essentially the same. And the difference in averages is a eight thousandths of a percentage point. So of a decimal. Their difference in ADP is over 50 picks in redraft right now. And So I know we're talking keeper leagues, but that should actually make you like Edmund even more. He's way younger than Merrifield. So if you're looking, if you really like Whit Merrifield, if that's your cup of tea, well, I think we have a new one emerging in St. Louis, and he's young. So Edmund was a guy who really almost made my list, but I wanted to put India on there. Does
0: is there concern about Edmund having a job? And and so maybe maybe the question here, and maybe this is a nice segue from sleepers and late picks into prospects. But Nolan Gorman is coming, and he is. They, they moved him to second base. They seem to believe he is the second baseman of the future. Maybe, like, there, there are some question marks around that infield because, like, Paul DeJong was not good last year. Edmundo Sosa, not very exciting. Like, these are your other shortstop options. And it's so, like, maybe, maybe Edmund slides over. But, man, I don't know how confident I am that he doesn't find himself in... Like If Gorman comes and takes that job, what does Edmund do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'd i be more concerned if I was one of those other guys you named, be it DeYoung or Sosa. Um, Edmund's shown a lot of flexibility. He can play the outfield, can play third, can play shortstop. He's been their leadoff hitter. They almost gave him 700 plate appearances last year, and to his credit, he performed pretty well. Switch hitter. Like I, I think he's safe, and I'm also not like – obviously, Gorman – has lost a little bit of his star, but still a, a highly rated prospect. I just i am not ready to, the way prospects have performed, even worry that that's a threat for Tommy Edmond right now. And that, it, again, is kind of ignoring that there are inferior players already in the infield that could be bounced for Gorman.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I think Gorman, since we're talking prospects, I mean, Gorman last year had a, just a 106 WRC plus in AAA, but a 129 in A. It's really, really good in about 195 plate appearances in double a after, after not doing anything in 2020 because of the the lack of a minor league season. And I would say held his own more than held his own. I mean, a one Oh six WRC plus is more than holding your own in triple a at age 21. I think he starts this year in triple a, but I think he could make his way up pretty soon. He's got real, real fun power, especially if he sticks at second base. And that's sort of his, that's going to be his calling card, right? He had, he had 25 home runs last year, which doesn't seem like a ton until you realize that he only had 523 plate appearances. So there there is a there's a real big power bat in here. He's been hitting for a high average in the minors, but it's always hard to know how well it's going to translate. He is, you know, he stole 7 bases last year, so like he's got a little bit of speed, but I don't think that's going to be a real big part of his game. I think the the big thing you're looking at with Gorman for me is a a big power bat who gets on base and therefore might be hitting in and around guys like Goldschmidt, O'Neill, Arenado, Carlson, which will give him plenty of opportunities to score and drive in runs.
1: Yeah, I'm excited about Gorman. You know, I, I think there's no question that he's going to receive an opportunity to be an everyday player for them this year, which is definitely what I'm looking for for prospects and. Obviously in keeper leagues, you know, you're, you're getting a lot more than that, especially if you're weighing those second and third years equally. So the upside is there. Like you said, the power is kind of the calling card that's unique for this position, but I think it's something that we're seeing is all of a sudden affecting second base that there's more and more power hitters. So Gorman's going to fit right in and and I'm definitely excited about him. I'm just not worried about it at the expense of, of Edmund. Makes sense. Any other prospects you think we should, we should talk about prospects? Not so much. I mean, I, I had a total Homer name down there. Not, I mean, I guess it's really not. So much for for keeper leagues, but I do think Enrique Hernandez is being overlooked a little bit at second base because as of right now, barring a, a Jaron Duran breakout or a signing that's kind of unforeseen, this guy's kind of looking at like six hundred plus plate appearances as the leadoff hitter for the Red Sox. That's with Rafael Devers hitting behind him. So, I mean, if I'm just looking to get a second baseman for the next two three years maybe three years is actually pushing it too far. But I, I think Enrique Hernandez is going to put up some pretty good numbers over the next couple of years. And at least in 2022, even if it's a 250 average, if he gets 600 plus plate appearances, there's no reason he can't hit 25 plus bombs and score over hundred runs. And so I think he's he's being a little overlooked. If he loses the leadoff spot, all value. See you later because he needs the volume. Makes sense. And he
0: is a good sort of late guy to, to check out for sure. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about shortstop. Welcome back. We are ready to move on to our shortstop top 10s. I'm going to read off these top 10s nice and quick, and then we'll dive into some, I think, some interesting discussions. Starting off with Pete's. Pete's top 10 shortstops for keeper leagues. Fernando Tatis Jr., Trey Turner, Bo Bichette, Wander Franco, Corey Seager, Xander Bogarts, Bobby Witt Jr., Trevor Story, Francisco Lindor, and Carlos Correa. My list, I mean, basically, it's it's I, I'm I'm leaning a little bit more on prior production, I guess I would say, because I've got the same top three: Tatisse, Turner, Bachet. You're ten and nine, Crayon Lindor. I have at four and five, and I've got them ahead <laughs> of Franco, who I have at six. Xander Bogarts, Corey Seager. I put in Willie Adamas, who you don't have on your list, but you know, you know how I feel about Willie. I do. And Bobby Witt Jr. at number ten. The differences between our lists. The guys that. You have, let's see, I think I have Adamus, and you have Story. Other than that, we have the same nine players. We just have them in a different order. And I think the place we should start this conversation, you have him fourth, I have him sixth. Wander Franco, I mean, he looks super, he, he looks great. He looks like he is going to be a star. You really taking him over? guys like Correa and Lindor who have who have done it
1: yeah I mean well when we say Correa has done it and I'm a huge Carlos Correa fan he he's he's a better baseball player than he is a fantasy player you're not getting any speed there and we we can talk about Correa later but and with Franco you may not get as much speed as I think the projection systems are kind of projecting but like this this dude it, we're not waiting for him to arrive he has arrived I mean he had a better WRC plus in 2021 than Boba Shett Tim Anderson Francisco Lindor even Adamas Baez who we've talked about at the position so he has arrived and maybe it's a little bit of bias watching him in the ALDS but I was more scared of Wander Franco than Lau than Cruz than every other guy that came to the plate to face Red Sox pitching and rightfully so because he performed and we're talking about an 80 grade hit tool like how rare that is to find an 80 grade hit tool for a player who's just 20 and already kind of performing like it I think we've seen that with prospects, especially ones this young, like the power will come, right? Like that, that, that will come. So, I, I don't. I, I was tempted to put Franco even higher because we're talking keeper leagues. It's just that top three is so solid and so good that I couldn't rationalize it. But I am in on Franco over the rest of the field, even guys who have performed at a high level in the past.
0: Yeah, I think the thing I, I'm very in on Franco uh, as a as a player. I think the thing that I. I'm challenged with in terms of ranking him is I don't know that he is going to have enough home runs or stolen bases to be special from a fantasy perspective. Right. I think like if he, if you told me he was going to get 18 home runs and eight stolen bases, like that doesn't sound like an, it doesn't sound wrong to me. And that'll come with a high average, I think. It'll come with a decent number of runs and RBIs because he's going to get on base and hit probably at the top of that lineup. But I don't, I don't know that he has, like, I don't know. If I go look at like, let's use Lindor as an example because I think he might be the harder sell given how much he, he struggled last year. But like, if you told me that Lindor had twice as many stolen bases and fifty percent more home runs than Franco, like Franco going eighteen and eight while Lindor goes 27 and 16 doesn't seem off to me. And at that point, I don't think runs and RBIs are going to be that different between them because Lindor has also got, got strong on base skills. And so it becomes a question of like, do I really think that an extra eight to 10 home runs and eight to 10 stolen bases is, is is worth giving up for, what might legitimately be 40 or 50 points of batting average. Like it might be a lot of batting average. It could be even Franco's more than advantage.
1: that with those yeah. two
0: players. But I I just, I, I don't know. I I don't know that I'm ready to bank on that. Now I do think where this shifts is if Franco develops 30 home run power and he might do that. I'm just not ready to to bank on that yet. And right now he looks to me like a guy who is, going to be good he's going to fill up all the categories you want him to fill up but he's going to be a sort of what you said about Korea. he's gonna be a better real life player than he is a fantasy player because the 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 strongest skill set he brings which is the ability to get on base and put the ball in play plays down a little bit in five by five as compared to what it what it means in real baseball
1: so I mean I'm down with I'm with you with being down on kind of the stolen bases. The projection systems are really favorable. I don't really know where that's coming from. Maybe it's just assuming there's going to be so much volume. He's going to get on base so much and the Rays are a team that typically like to to run. But uh, there's real upside here of as a 21-year-old in a keeper league. 200 combined runs plus RBI and like a 320 average. And now you're looking at that for as long as you want to keep him for. And I don't see that level of upside definitely with Lindor or with a lot of other players in the field. Lindor kind of worries me if we want to open up that door uh, to, to, to break him down. Sure. I just, I don't, honestly, I don't even know why I ranked him. I guess it's just because I like the Mets lineup so much and, and I've liked Francisco Lindor in the past, but I don't know if there's an, a single player in baseball that benefited more from the juiced baseballs it was, it was like glaringly obvious. I mean, he, he was not projected to be some big power hitter and out of nowhere from 2017 to 2019, he's hitting over 30 homers in each of those. And that was when the juice ball was at its worst, despite barrel rates of 7.1%, 9.5% and 7.5% respectively. And unless we go back to the juice balls, I just, I don't know if Lindor can reach that 30 homer plateau. Like maybe I'm against the field here. I think Juan Franco is going to hit more homers than Francisco Lindor this year let alone going forward in keeper leagues. I tweeted out a while ago, home runs or at-bats per home run for shortstops over the last three years. Now, going over the last three years extends it back to 2019 when we were still dealing with the juice balls. If you just do the last two years, which is really, what, a year and a third, to be fair, to Lindor here, his at-bats per home run is about 25. It's 24 and a half. Freddie Galvis (laughs) had a better at-bats per home run ratio than Francisco Lindor he's not even close to someone like Javi Baez who's 18.5 so I worry about the power there with Lindor and I'm not sure he's going to steal that many bases so I'm a little bit hesitant on Frankie
0: yeah Wander hitting more home runs than 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 Lindor would would surprise me like yes he did benefit but like His biggest home run years were not the 2019 rabbit ball years, 2018 and 2017, where he had 30 and 33 He came back with 32 in 2019. Uh, You know, he projects as anywhere from 25 to 30. And like, I just don't see, I don't see that from Franco yet. Now he may, he may develop faster than I'm, than I'm expecting for sure. But man, I don't know. I'm not ready to count on that from him. And I think like,
1: I should have put it in my bold predictions article. Darn it.
0: Yeah, you should have, <laughs> I, I guess. So let me, I'm going to, I'm going to throw something out there for Wander Franco. That is going to feel like a weak comp, but I'm going to do it anyways.
1: Oh God. Because All right. I think
0: from a fantasy perspective, I think it's, I think it's kind of fair. So this is a guy who, to your point on consistently high averages, this guy's batting averages the last three years, 335 322 309 right so this is this is a guy who's he's he's got good high average he has put up including the short in 2020 remember he's had 18 home runs 10 home runs and then 17 home runs 17 stolen bases 5 stolen bases 18 stolen bases and hits lead off in a very very good lineup okay those all sound like wander Franco-esque outcomes to me Maybe a little bit more power, probably a lot less speed, but similar average, similar spot in the lineup. That's Tim Anderson. Now, Tim Anderson is a very good baseball player. I have nothing against Tim Anderson. He is not on either of our top 10 lists, though.
1: Yeah, so I see the comp. I think that the obvious difference is the plate discipline of which Tim Anderson essentially has none. And Wander Franco might be second best in baseball behind Juan Soto already. And that's not to discredit, you know, some of the other elite names out there. I see it, though. I mean, we're talking five by five, and this is ultimately your issue with Franco to begin with, right, is that he's a better real life player than he is a five by five player. But I still think plate discipline does matter in in pitch selection. And I think that's that's a huge advantage for Franco. And also, I mean, Tim Anderson, in his defense, has put forward stellar fantasy seasons, probably fantasy seasons where he's been ahead of, of guys like Lindor and Correa. If you want to talk about him, I, I'm definitely open to that because I, I still don't understand why he gets drafted so high. But uh, I guess that's a conversation for another day. I guess it's just more because it's keeper. I don't think I would draft Wander Franco ahead of, you know, Corey Seager, for example, even though he's being drafted ahead of Corey Seager in redraft this year. Right. But if if I could lock up Wander Franco, I I, I think this the sky really is the limit. And I know that's not really a bold take, but it's how I feel about him. Yeah.
0: I just I like I look at Anderson. Anderson was eighth on the player Raider, Raspold player Raider at shortstop last year. And that was with 17 home runs, 18 stolen bases, 309 average, 94 runs. He only had 61 RBI. And so there's a big question here where if Franco leads off, he may have similar run in RBI totals. If he hits more like second or third, then those RBI totals will go up quite a bit. But if I, I just, that feels like more like the line I expect from him. But again, with a little bit, with less speed and more RBIs. And that's where, boy, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if and when he finds enough power to jump to another level beyond that. Because that's what's going to take him to the next level, right? Is is that plate discipline, that pitch selection, that ability to wait for his pitch paying off with 30 home runs instead of 20 is where Franco has the opportunity to to do to become an elite fantasy player. But otherwise yeah, I don't know. I think like if he's getting 20 home runs and less than 10 stolen bases, like I said, 18 and eight or something, I just, that's like, that's, that's a, that's a poor man's Tim Anderson. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that's an unreasonable expectation for him. I have him well above Anderson because I think Anderson like that, you know, Anderson getting close to a 2020 season, he's gotten one season in his career. He's gotten close multiple other times, like, seems very likely he'll be close to 2020 whereas Franco could be 30 and 10 with a with a more bankable batting average and more RBIs so like I I'm not I want to be very clear to anyone out there who right now is like I can't believe you think Wander Franco isn't as good as Tim Anderson like I think Wander I would rather have Wander Franco than Tim Anderson I just think that is a from a statistical perspective not how they get to those stats not like there's, there's an interesting comparison there that I don't know that Wander Franco comes out on top of.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, it's worth reminding the listeners that you have Wander Franco sixth. So like Chad is, Chad is in right. on Wander Franco. <laughs> um, I get, I I guess I'm, I'm talking myself in circles, but when the hit tool is so good and the player is so young, I just have confidence that the power is going to develop. He's going to fill into that body more. He's going to be working out more like at the exit velocities will be there because the, the tools that are hard to teach impossible to teach are there. And they're so there with this player that I, I, I have a hard time believing that power is not going to follow now. Will it in 2022, that's ultimately what you've been asking. And I think it's a fair question. And, and that's what I'd be weighing the most in a keeper league is what are you going to do for me as soon as possible? But in terms of future value, nobody else in this list really comes that close to him in my opinion. And then the last thing is like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy hits three thirty 30 this year. So I think he separates himself from the pack. Maybe not Tim Anderson so much, given the averages that he puts forward, but from the rest of the field in terms of batting average, I I think we can overlook batting average quite often. And he could really separate himself in that particular category. Yeah.
0: Anderson is definitely unique from a batting average perspective. And and Wander could be in that that category for sure. Talk about Wander Franco. We've talked about Francisco Lindor a bit. Guy, you've got seventh on your list. I have 10th, has yet to face a major league pitcher. I'm usually the one who's like, Pete. You're way too early on Bobby Witt Jr. Why is he on your list? But he's on my list too. So what is it about this guy that like, what that has you putting him seventh when he's still yet to see a major league pitcher?
1: I th- I really thought it was a typo when I saw your list and saw that he was on there. So I just want to want to start with that. <laughs> um, I had a really hard time putting him above Trevor Story. And if I made this list 10 times over the course of a month, maybe five times I have story ahead of him and five times I have wit ahead of him. We can dive in a story later if we want, but he just murdered double A AA and triple A pitching and triple A pitching was really bad. But the big di- thing for him was that he also cut down on his strikeout rate. And that was the most concerning thing in the early going for Bobby Witt Jr. Kind of like it was for Marco Luciano where it's like, whoa, this guy's striking out a lot. Like what's going on here? And it doesn't get any easier when you get to the major leagues. But something that's exciting about Bobby Witt, particularly as it relates to speed, right, is that or Steamer, I should say, projects him for eighteen stolen bases, and he did have twenty nine stolen bags in just one hundred twenty three minor league games. And the Royals are a team that'll let you run, right? I mean, look at Alberto Mondesi, look at Witt Merrifield. I mean, they will let you run if you have the speed. So all of a sudden we're talking about this guy who's definitely going to get called up. I thought he was going to get called up before the end of last season. But Nicky Lopez all of a sudden started performing like Willie Mays. But 60 grade speed, excellent hit tool, all the pedigree. he, He has nothing left to prove in the minor leagues. It's hard not to get excited. And I have questions about the guys that follow him on this list. So he ended up for keeper leagues being my seventh shortstop.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you look, you mentioned the 60 grade speed. He also has a 70 grade raw power, 60 grade game power. The hit tools of fifty, which is like good enough, right? It's not great, but it's certainly good enough, especially with those those other raw skills. And those, by the way, those are his sort of potential, his future, not his current grades. But yeah, you mentioned the the twenty nine stolen bases last year. He also hit thirty three home runs in those hundred and twenty three games. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, he had ninety nine runs and ninety seven RBIs. Like it's double A AA and triple A. It is not the same as major leagues. Like it'll get harder. And Kaufman is not a great place for a power hitter, but he hits a lot of line drives. He pushes the ball all over the park. Like, man, I, he could put up, I think he could put up big, big numbers. And so to me, here, here's the, here's where I'll put a, a, a statement on the ground. I don't think there is a very good chance that Bobby Witt is better than Wander Franco as a baseball player. Like, I don't think there's any point in the next five years where we're like, man, who has the better player, the Royals or the Rays? I think it'll be the Rays. I think Witt is more likely than Franco to push himself into the Tatis, Turner, Bichette tier. Because I think he is the one, like, he has maybe got a better chance than almost anyone in the game of putting up like a 30-30 season sometime in the next five years you know, tease Acuna, like there's other guys, right? I He's not, I'm not, I'm not saying he is my number one for that. But like, if I look at the rest of this list, like he might do that. Wander Franco is never going to do that. He won't do it with a 330 average, but with a 280, 290 average, I don't see why not. So I am, I think his upside from a fantasy perspective is higher than Wander Franco's.
1: I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I don't think it's far off. I think it's again, it's it's the difference between stolen bases and and batting average. And obviously the way the game is right now, I'd rather the stolen bases. So in that way, I'm with you with, with um at the same time, the hit tool with Franco, I think is just far greater. And I, I think there's gonna be a time where Bobby Witt Jr. is having trouble with strikeouts. I just believe that. I think like we we've seen it with prospects all the time, even top prospects that get called up and the swing and miss is is difficult particularly guys who had that problem at various points in the minor leagues that doesn't mean I'm out on which junior I have I have him higher than you on this list and I definitely see that that 30-30 upside obviously cuz he pretty much just did that in the minor leagues but I'm hesitant to say he'll be better than Franco even though it looks like both the power and the speed at this point in their careers are are in wits favor
0: yeah and I want to be clear like Wander is way more likely to reach his upside than Witt is, right? There, there are bigger questions about Witt. He hasn't faced major league pitching. The strikeouts are going to be a concern at some point. I think you're right. So this is a, which is why, at no point did I consider putting Witt higher than Wander on my list, right? Like that, that isn't a, a thing here. It's despite the bigger risk, I think because of the greater upside, that's that's what gets what gets him onto tenth on my list. And I think, you know, for me, when I was looking at the guys who are after that, like if I go look at my my shortstop list and the guys I considered for that tenth spot, like, boy, I mean Marcus Simeon is still shortstop eligible, but I don't think he's gonna keep shortstop, and so that hurts him. I had story there, but not I I think Wit's upside and and I have some concerns about Story that are are in some way similar to the concerns I have about Wit. We could talk about tim anderson we could talk about javi baez or jazz chisholm who we already talked about guys like jay cronenworth and jorge polanco but you know wit is not like i'm not taking wit over those guys in redraft but in keeper leagues yeah I, I just think i think the upside is just too high to pass
1: up and the only the only reason i'm not taking wit over those guys in redraft right now particularly those last three names that you gave there, you know, Jazz, who I, I probably would take him over Jazz, but Cronenworth and Polanco is just the fact that we don't know he's up on April 1st. If you told me what's going to be up on April 1st, I'm taking him over those other guys. I think for sure as, as good as Polanco was. And as much as I like Cronenworth, I think Ed Witt junior. So that's really the only thing that's working against him. So when we talk about keeper leagues, he's a, he's in my mind, a no brainer over those guys. And most of those guys you named, they weren't even in competition. And it, and it really stresses, how much better the top at shortstop is from not just second base, but like every position except outfield. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, I I think it's a really interesting that like Simeon, who we both had fourth at second base doesn't really factor into the shortstop list. But then when you get to that next tier in the shortstop list, you're talking about like, you know, the guys who are like, and maybe this is the right time to transition to who are sort of our sleepers or later picks. Like, Luis Urias shows up on that list again. Jake Cronenworth and Jorge Polanco show up on that list for me. They were on at least one of our second base lists. Polanco was on both of them. So there's a lot of similarities there. The other guys who I think show up for me at shortstop are, are, there's some sort of safe, uninteresting players like Dansby Swanson. There are some maybe high risk, high reward guys like Eugenio Suarez, although he probably won't stay at shortstop after this season. And then it gets a little bit, I don't know, you get into like Ahmed Rosario, Brandon Crawford actually probably should be higher up than I, I mentioned him just now, not in the top 10, but he, he belongs in the conversation, at least good as he's been any other, any sort of interesting guys that we haven't talked about that you think need to, should be
1: discussed. Well, you may have mentioned him, but the, the one that you and I are are both pretty high on is Onyell Cruz, obviously. Um, I think the pirates are going to do everything they can to to give him every day at bats he has awesome upside i mean we talk about 30-30 potential with with Wit junior and obviously he's more likely to reach that than anyo cruz just based on on pedigree and, and what they've done in the minors but anyo cruz that's within his potential range of outcomes over the next 3 years is a 30-30 season so if you miss out on the the speed power combination at shortstop which it's almost hard to miss out on it there are a lot of them anyo cruz is is definitely an option that we could get there
0: yeah, I think thirty thirty is a little aggressive for him. I don't think he's got I don't think he's got a thirty stolen base season in him, but I he's too big. Certainly the power. Certainly <laughs> the power. And then I think the other the other as we move some from sort of sleepers to prospects, there's a, a trio of guys who I think are I'll say less heralded, certainly less heralded than Witt or Franco or or even Cruz, but that are all prospects that all could get significant playing time this year. And that's Jose Barrero with the Reds, Bryson Stott with yes. the Phillies, and Jeremy Pena with the Astros. And just looking at these guys, I mean, Barrero in, you know, only 200 AAA plate appearances last year, had 13 home runs and eight stolen bases. He isn't sort of like an elite prospect by any means, but he's got decent grades. He's in it. He is a solid player with, a, a real good glove. He's got a 60 grade glove. And so should be able to take over at shortstop before too long. Cause there really isn't anyone else in Cincinnati. I mean, Kyle Farmer is not, you know, keeping hit Barrero down. So I, re- I like what I see from him. Bryson Stott, I think is maybe more interesting from a fantasy perspective in terms of what he's capable of. Um, he is, you know, he's got more power. He's probably more like a 15 to 20 home run guy right now, but there's, I think there's more power than that in his bat. If he can grow into it, the speed is more like a five to 10, but like I got another guy who could put up like a 2010 type season. It, it seems like a, a very possible outcome for Stott. I think that the challenge for him is that Didi Gregorius is still there in Philadelphia and like, they're not going to just give up on him yet. And so Stott's got to, got to wait a little bit, I think. And then, in Houston, like if they don't re-sign Correa, which doesn't seem likely to happen, and they don't go find a shortstop somewhere else, it, from what I understand, Jeremy Pena is gonna be the guy there. And he, here's another guy who like could easily put up fifteen to twenty home runs and 10-ish stolen bases and be hitting in a pretty great lineup. So I'm I'm really interested in these guys as sort of late in the draft game picks, guys who I'll say this. If right now I would be taking a late shot on Pena, because if he is the starting shortstop for the Houston Astros on opening day, which right now looks like a very likely outcome, he is being way, way underdrafted at this time.
1: Yeah, that's that's fair. I really like the Bryson Stott pick, though. I think, first of all, it could get iffy depending on the Phillies moves once we figure out this CBA, right? I know I've heard rumors that they're in on Castellanos and stuff like that. That could plug up their D.H., right now, I mean, if you look at roster resource, their DH is supposed to be Matt Veerling and their outfield is shaky. Like there's a lot of openings where Stott could fit in. And Didi Gregorius just simply was not good last year. I mean, he was atrocious and this is a team that's ready to win. So Bryson Stott, he's matured, right? I mean, he's already 24 years old. A lot of extra base hits, strong batting average in the minors. I know one of the guys that I turn to for my prospect stuff is is the Welsh, right? He is super high on Bryson Stott. I think he's higher in the industry than than most. So Bryson Stott is a guy that sticks out to me as, as a potential, like you missed out on shortstop and you need some fill-in. Like that draft I was sending you, Chad, actually, it kind of fits it nicely here because I missed the wave of shortstops. I ended up with like Unyell Cruz look, we just discussed in this particular situation. I can't remember who my others were. It was like Gavin Lux and I had Jeff McNeil who could fit in. And so I made sure late in the draft, I got Bryson Stott because I do think it's not going to be as much of a learning curve for Stott as we've seen with some other prospects because he's so experienced and and much older and given the hit tool, I kind of like him.
0: Yeah. I, I think my, my concern with Stott a little bit is the, the upside versus some of the other guys that you could you could take like you know he across three levels last year had 16 home runs and 10 stolen bases that was across high a double a AA, and triple a 10 of his 16 home runs came at double a which for philadelphia is Reading, which is it's like it's like playing on a wiffle ball field in someone's front yard or something like you hit the ball and it just, it just flies out of the stadium every time you make solid contact. And so I have some real concerns that his, I like him. I see the possibility of him being like a 2010 guy. Like I said, I also think he could be a 10, 10 guy. And so I, and I'm not sure that he's got like a 30 home run season in him. And so I, I, I'm a little concerned that like, and again, it's, it's not fair to compare him to wander, but we were talking about wander before. It's like, If Wander is if I've got some questions about Wander because I think he's a safe 2018 and eight, twenty and ten, something like that, but I think that's Stott's upside. I I question whether or not Stott really has the ability to crack the top 12 at shortstop. These like shortstop is just so good right now. I still like him late. I still think he's worth the bet. I'm I'm not I'm not against drafting him, but that's my concern with him is like is, is he Does he end up being like a solid hitter who actually doesn't do much for fantasy?
1: I think that that outcome is actually kind of likely, right? I mean, you said 10 and 10, like, I think that's a, that's a pretty, probably more likely outcome for Stott than the alternative where he breaks out and becomes some kind of, you know, 25, 15 guy. But I mean, I I guess this is where we're we're getting the conversation almost in like super deep keeper leagues, or you're uncomfortable about the position and, and you're looking for a late strike. I mean, right now, ADP 469, you're not, Paying anything for him, and the upside certainly is there. But I'm with you in that I don't I don't want to oversell the ceiling. I, I you know I'm hesitant to to buy in on like this is the guy. But I think in terms of a balance of opportunity, ready to contribute at the major league level, I think it's going to be there for Stott, and so he's going to get his shot.
0: Yeah, that that piece I agree with. I think he'll he'll get an opportunity, and he's got the the skills to be useful, and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Any other shortstops we should talk about before we wrap up here?
1: Well, we talked about Stott, and and I guess, we, you know, did we have a full conversation about Tim Anderson? Because I'm willing to bet that we've let some managers... Like, I, I feel like we're talking keeper leagues, and we, we like, briefly mentioned this player was going to the third round of drafts, and we're like, yeah, he's not on my top 10 either. So maybe we should dive into that a little bit before we move forward. For me, Tim Anderson, he hasn't stolen more than 18 bases since 2018. He hasn't hit more than 20 home runs since 2018. So like we're talking about a guy who's pure volume. And like Javi Baez, he relies heavily on Babbitt. But the difference is Javi Baez smokes the ball. That's why he's able to rely on Babbitt. Tim Anderson does not hit the ball that hard, and he doesn't barrel the ball nearly as much as Javi Baez does. So it's like, am I spending extreme draft capital on this guy who you know, is going to be thirty years old soon, and is completely reliant on BABIP, has no plate discipline, and isn't that much of a power and speed threat. And it's all of a sudden like, well, what am I drafting him for? The hope that he can continue to bat for a high batting average. And to be fair to him, he has he has defied you know this this idea that with a uh, with a with poor plate discipline and and without smoking the ball that you can hit for a high batting average and you can maintain a high BABIP. He has done that. I just as we've discussed now with several different players, be it Tyler O'Neill, be it Javi Baez, I'm not willing to continue to roll the dice in that. And the position is so deep. I don't feel like I have to.
0: Yeah. I think the thing with Anderson that allows him to maintain such a high average is he hits a ton, a ton of line drives. Right. And so he just, he, he puts the ball in play in ways that are difficult to field them. He, and I haven't looked at the numbers lately, but he does a pretty good job of using all fields. So like, last year 37.2% pull rate, 35.7% to center, 27.1% the other way. Not super different from his career numbers. So he he hits line drives, he hits them everywhere, he makes you defend the full field, and then he's really really fast. And like that combination will will get a guy on base an awful lot. So I I, I buy the average. I don't think the average is going anywhere. I think the BAPIP will continue to be high and that'll that'll keep the average high the challenges for him are like you said i you know 2020 is something he might push but i don't think he's likely to get although interestingly if you look at his projections like steamer has him at 2319 zips at 2019 atc at 2119 the bat at 2119 so like you know maybe he will be 2020 2020 with a high average he'll be he'll be really useful again the big challenge with him is he's going to get a lot of runs but not very many RBIs cuz he he leads off and he doesn't hit for enough power to drive in a ton of runs from the leadoff spot. I don't know. I think Tim Anderson's likely to sort of keep being who he's been. And that's, you know, maybe I should have him on my list, right? Maybe he is a top 10 guy. Like I said, he was like eighth or something last year on the player Raider. So he, but it does feel like, I think his BAPIP skill is real. Despite the fact that he doesn't hit the ball that hard. The problem is that Bapip's skill is hard to bank on. And so Like his BAPIP skill is real, but if he puts up like a 320 BAPIP instead of like a 370 BAPIP, he's not going to be very good. And that won't be because he's less skilled or because he's declining or anything like that. It'll just be because like when you're relying on BAPIP, you're relying on BAPIP and a 320 is not out of the range of possibility for him.
1: So the the one thing I'll give him is he's cut down on the strikeout rate, which I guess does make me feel a little bit better. But I mean, you brought up the line drives and like... In 2019, when he really burst on the scene and had a... Well, I guess that was more 2018. But in 2019, he had a 28% line drive rate. To me, it it looks like he's all ground balls. I mean, over the last two seasons, that includes the short in 2020, he's 56% ground balls, which it's the same point, right? I mean, you're going to have a higher BABIP if you hit more ground balls or line drives, right, than if you hit more fly balls. But then that is really limiting the power potential. And so I see... uh, an opportunity where the power could kind of like bottom out and he's not able to maintain such a high dab as he gets older. And I start to get concerned there. And I I brought it up before at bats per home run, not to keep bringing up this weird stat, but I'm interested in it over the last three years because of how much the ball has changed out of like all of these names there's, I'm not even going to list them all. Consider it every player that we've already listed and talked about, and then add in names like Glaber Torres and, and Freddie Galvis, who I brought up before, I guess, and Dansby Swanson and Brandon Crawford. Out of all these names, Tim Anderson ranked dead last since 2019 in home runs per plate appearance. I, that worries me. If something happens where he can't give me the volume, well, all of a sudden, like, what do I what do I have here? So yeah. I, I worry about Tim Anderson. He There was no chance he cracked my top 10.
0: Yeah, and I think it's, you know, looking at line drive rate, so you, you made me look a little deeper. Out of 114 guys who qualify for batting title over the last three years. So 2019 to 2021, 114 players. He is tied for 35th in line drive rate, which is good, but certainly not elite. He is third in ground ball rate. Now, the guys around him in ground ball rate, like Starling Marte right above him, probably a pretty reasonable comp and you can see the similarities there. Tommy Pham has a high ground ball rate. DJ LeMahieu has been very successful with a high ground ball rate. Uh, the number one ground ball rate. You know who the number one ground ball rate in baseball over the last three years is for that, this this qualified list? I don't. Eric Hosmer. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the,
1: I, <laughs> if if I should be able to guess him, that, who's right. he? So forgettable, but yes, Mister yeah. can't figure out launch angle.
0: No, I mean you look at the you look at the rest of these guys in this list. Hosmer's first, and you have Marte. Anderson, Fam, who you could argue shouldn't be there, but then like Lemayhu, Segura, Ahmed Rosario, Jackie Bradley Jr., Jonathan VR, Alex Verdugo, oh. then you get to Josh Bell, which is a little concerning. But most of that top ten <laughs> is just like guys who get the ball on the ground and beat it to first base. Yes, and Eric Hosmer,
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> who doesn't beat um, it to first base. Yeah, who does not beat it to <laughs> first base.
0: And, and Bell, by the way, who you and I are both both high on. I'm just going to pull up some of his like he does hit a lot of ground balls. Yeah. And that is something that's going to hold him back if he doesn't improve that. Because when he was at his best, he was under 50% ground ball rate. In his last right. couple of years, he was at 55.7 and 53.5. He has got to bring that down. Not that that has anything to do with shortstop because <laughs> he's not a shortstop. But his name came up. And I felt like we had to talk about it. So with that, I think we've covered all the shortstops we want to cover really appreciate you listening if you get a chance to make sure you can subscribe leave us ratings and reviews follow us on Twitter at keeper cut you can follow Pete at Pete B baseball you can follow me at Chad young love to hear from you want to know what you want us to cover starting with this episode so we, we are recording this on on Monday January 31st it's going to be out on Monday the 7th Starting on Monday, February seventh, we are back to a weekly schedule. So you hear from us every single Monday through the season, and we'll be we'll be finishing up these positional previews. We'll be talking a little bit about how to structure a keeper league. We're going to get our listener leagues up and running. We're really excited about those. So make sure you're make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of it.
1: We'll talk and to you next week. Can I just add on real quick, Chad? Go for it. Those of you that are participating in our keeper leagues, more information is coming on that. So don't be don't forget about us here. And also, I know some guys have sent us questions. I know I had two queued up, but obviously shortstop and second base took precedent. We will get to those questions before your deadlines. It just wasn't in this episode.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll we will do another mailbag. Uh, February 15th is the auto new keeper deadline. So we'll probably do another mailbag around then. I know I've got some other leagues that are going to be I've heard of other leagues that have keeper deadlines around there. So I think it'll be another good opportunity to to do some mailbags so maybe we'll we'll fit that in maybe on the maybe on Valentine's Day.
2: We oh, have wow. a Valentine's
0: Day episode. Yeah. So for Valentine's Day we'll answer your questions. <laughs> so anyways, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.